I think if I went back in time, I would just tell myself, learn how to use a computer, learn technology. It's not going away. It's going to forever evolve and become more complicated and build on itself. And as our, I think most people in our generation, if you weren't like homeschooled or at a Mennonite school, most of the stuff is relatively like intuition based. Like we've been using computers for so long that it doesn't take very long to like learn a new app or a new program. But I think to do it professionally, you know, you come up with all that fake ass jargon. Jargon has a lot to do with space. A lot of space jargon today? Yeah. <laughs> I I did go down a little bit of a hole with space jargon. And then I was like, I don't even know, know if I'm going to say it today, but. Oh, that's fine. I did too. And I was like, I'm totally going to just butcher it. I'm, I don't want to read a book about the theory of magnets. Yeah, it's rough. I'm just going to explain it the same way I do operating systems. You know, the thing and the thing makes the other thing happen. <laughs> and then you go up to file save. Oh, no. Like if someone was like, explain GarageBand to me. I would be totally like, here's my own language for creating, for walking you through GarageBand. Beauty of being self-taught. Welcome to Sex with Ghosts. I am Bridget here with the leading frontier of space facts and exploration, Molly. Hi, Bridget. And today, Molly is going to lead a very interesting story, perhaps about Obama space travel, time travel, the planet of Mars, all of the things we love. But before we get into the fun Obama story, we're going to do some weird and not so weird facts about space. And Molly, do you have any sort of connection to space and Obama or space in general? An excellent question. I'm not a huge fan of space. I've never wanted to be an astronaut or anything like that. How about you? I'm not a big space person either. It's like, why do I want to explore space when in my lifetime I will likely not be going there? I think that's fair. I also agree. But I do think humans having the knowledge is a good thing. So it's not like I'm against space exploration. I just don't want to do it myself. Yeah, that's good. I think that's fair. I, I feel similarly. We definitely would not be talking to each other right now 
without the assistance of space satellites. Uh, very true. And it has brought us a lot of things in our lives. So that's why we need to continue to fund the government. Support NASA. Keep open the space doors. But let's not privatize it because then it's only going to be available to a very small few. It's absolutely true. That's the problem. Like, it seems all well and good that these billionaires want to go to space, but they're totally going to keep whatever benefits that they find for themselves and we're going to have to pay for it. So it's not great. Yeah, it's not good, Gare, if you're listening. But speaking of things that I know about space, I did do some research, Molly, and I did go out of my way to try to find space facts that could possibly give us both nightmares. Oh, no. Okay. Did you know chunks of the Milky Way galaxy are being sucked away? I did not know that. So something unidentified and larger than anything known in the universe is sucking portions of the Milky Way galaxy. Now, if you don't know, the Milky Way galaxy is the galaxy that Earth is in. I feel like probably all our listeners know that, but I'm not going to space shame knowledge, space knowledge shame anyone. We'll spell it out just so we all know. Make sure we're all on the same page. But in 2009, researchers found a cluster of galaxies moving at an extraordinary speed towards a small patch of sky between the constellations of Centaurus and Vela. Scientists have dubbed this phenomenon as dark flow in reference to other cosmic mysteries such as dark matter and dark energy. Did you know that there is evidence of gravitational waves? Like light waves, but they're gravity? Yes. I did not know, but I feel like seems logical from a mind that is not very scientific. <laughs> yes, indeed. Gravitational waves were first theorized by Einstein, but had never been detected before 2016. And... The theory is that gravitational waves are the wrinkling of space-time that occurs when objects collide. Whoa. Yeah. That's like heavy because time is kind of made up. And so, I don't know. I don't want to think too hard. And I think that we all have to kind of accept the fact that Space and time are much more tied together than we think. Yeah, I mean, they're in every physics equation. <laughs> hey, there you go. These particular gravitational waves that they detected in 2016 were caused by the collision of black holes that had happened millions of years prior. And gravitational waves had echoed across the universe. Oh, and how, I don't expect you to have an answer. <laughs> Do you know how they were able to see or track or find the evidence of the waves? I definitely do not know, but based on what I was reading, it was very much like 
there are these very specialized labs that are looking for very specific things. And this lab, like that was their goal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I feel like something as nuanced as that, like there has to be a bunch of like, especially probably university sponsored, like space nuanced labs or any, I mean, any branch of science, really. Right. I agree. Speaking of collisions, do you know what they call it when galaxies collide with one another? Ooh, no, I do not. Galactic cannibalism. Oh, because what ends up happening is that a galaxy kind of eats another one, like absorbs it. So that's the name that they give it. But reportedly, the larger galaxies collide with small ones like once in eight to nine billion years. So we're probably good for a while. That's good. That makes me feel a little bit better about that. Did you know that the first known alien visitor passed through our solar system in 2017? Alien would just mean technically not from our galaxy or not not from our solar system not from our solar our solar system is inside a galaxy a galaxy is multiple solar systems yes i passed very good (laughs) i passed eighth grade science baby but apparently not a lot of things come into our solar system from other solar systems okay and this particular item was a space rock which was named Aumuamua. That's what scientists named it. But I just thought that was interesting because that was the first time that we realized that something came from outside the solar system. So that seems cool. Yeah, that's pretty wild because our solar system is huge. Right, yeah. So to know or to find something that didn't come from our solar system Again, it's one of those ideas where it's like, I don't want to unpack this. Yeah. But it seems significant. This whole episode is a lot. Speaking of aliens, NASA has recorded eerie space sounds. That doesn't sound surprising to me. I feel like that was the plot to many a movie. I do feel like it's something that like anyone who's watched the History Channel once has heard that. It just seems like such a throwaway. We're talking about aliens. By the way, did you know? But I guess NASA uses a technique called data sonification to take signals from radio waves, plasma waves, and magnetic fields and convert them into audio tracks to sort of hear, so to speak, what's happening in space. The sounds they have recorded have ranged from ambulance-like screeches to beeps, of course, according to this article I read, reminiscent of an alien spaceship making its approach. Wow. Because I'm sure alien spaceships make beeping noises, right? (laughs) They're just like us. Speaking of other life forms, scientists have discovered geysers on both on one of Saturn's moons, Enceladus, and one of Jupiter's moons, Europa, which means that there is 
water on those moons in some form. And because there's water, scientists can analyze the water for microbial life forms. So this is a quote I found. This makes these moons a prime candidate for life hunting missions. It's incredible to me that they know somehow that it's water that's coming from the geysers and not like another type of fluid. It sounds like what happened was they knew that there were geysers, but their newer uh, telescopes and such have confirmed that it was actually water and not another substance. Oh, wow. Well, I'm sure Jeff Bezos probably already has a secretly colonized. So the Carrington event, Richard Carrington was an amateur astronomer who recorded a solar outburst, which affected the earth September 1st, 1859. Wow. So here's where I'm going to get dumb for you. A solar outburst is, and I'm explaining this in the most butchered way possible. So if you understand what a solar outburst is, I am apologizing because this isn't going to be pretty. But for us who aren't taking a science class anytime soon, my understanding is like a storm on the sun that kind of gets out of control and causes like this sort of flare from the sun. And because of gravity, it can shoot out and affect the planets. So in 1859, this event caused what they call a geomagnetic storm, which again, I'm going to butcher this, but it's basically a disruption in Earth's magnetosphere. And because of this event, it not only creates a visually unique auroral displays, but it caused telegraph systems to go up in flames. And reportedly, it gave shocks to the telegraph operators. That is bizarre. That's a weird one. Through the, I guess, the magnetic and the electricity. Crazy. So how did they know about it? From the brief research I did, it seemed that Richard Carrington was was studying the sun, you know, whatever, just recording the happenings that he was seeing on the sun with, a, I assume, a telescope. And so noticed that, like, oh, there's a solar storm. And so I think he was prepared for when the outburst happened and then following the effects. So he was like tracking this whole thing from inception. That's fascinating. And then because of the, the reported telegraph um, happenings, and this is 1859. So there aren't a lot of electricity things like there is now. So of course it's going to only affect telegraph systems. (laughs) Whereas like now if that happened and it almost actually it almost happened in 2012 that we sort of dodged something similar, but it would have been way more catastrophic, not only because of the amount of like electronic things that we use, but 
I believe also because of the force behind that in 2012, it was like a larger sort of event, but it like just missed us. That's lucky. And again, I know I'm totally butchering this. So in 2013, scientists were able to identify evidence of cosmic rays. And the cosmic rays are energy, which... Only hippies can see? No, they're... It's, I'm joking. <laughs> this is also me butchering this, but I think it's energy from outside the solar system. So a cosmic ray contains the energy of a rifle bullet in a single atomic nucleus. So it's like a very powerful energy. But we're unable to see the rays, but we can observe neutrino particles left behind from the rays. And so these scientists working on the in the South Pole have this like sheet of ice and whatever their system is to identify when these neutrino particles interact with the ice. Oh, my God. And in 2013, there were two events. They were nicknamed Bert and Ernie. And it sounds like these were very powerful because this event had only happened, only had been observed once before in 1987. And these new events were millions of times the energy as the one observed in 1987. Oh, here's some a little bit more information. So, yeah, I think cosmic rays come from outside the solar system which are made up of these neutrino particles. But most neutrino particles that scientists find are from Earth's atmosphere or the sun. So for whatever, however they did, they knew that this was coming from outside the solar system and it was very powerful. Oh, wow. I wonder if it's like the amount that would be like... You're going to have like a baseline where you're like, okay, this is definitely from the sun or say our normal atmosphere. And then that's what's so crazy about all this stuff is like to be doing science, (laughs) to do science, you have to adhere to like all of these rules, accept them as somewhat fact, even if they're theories. And like always apply them in different scenarios so you can find the truth. It's a lot. It's a lot. Scientists deserve our respect. Agreed. So, Molly, did you know that extended space travel can change your DNA? I have heard that before. It sounds really crazy, though. Yes. Astronaut Scott Kelly, who spent a year at the International Space Station in 2016, returned to find that he was two inches taller than his departing height. Now, a little fact about Mr. Scott Kelly is that before he left Earth, he had an identical twin brother, Mike, who is also 
an astronaut. I say had an identical twin brother because after the scientists compared the DNA of the two, besides growing the two inches, they found that Kelly's gut bacteria was completely different and his gene expression changed. Therefore, the two are no longer identical. That's so crazy. It kind of makes you think maybe aliens, maybe aliens can time travel and maybe they're actually us and they've been living in space so long that they've, their DNA is completely different. That does make a little bit of sense, but it's also kind of scary. Oh, yeah. Because what if it's, what if the aliens are actually like, you know how when we first started doing space exploration, they were just like sending animals yeah, yeah. into space? What if these are evolved animals? Oh, that's weird. There is there is a little bit of a tie to the story with that Ooh. that you'll have to catch a little bit later. My last facts are about Mars because that is what ties into our story today. Since the 70s, humans have put six rovers on Mars, the United States, China, and the Soviet Union. And these together have covered a little under 140 miles of the surface. That's it? Yes. It's not a ton. For instance, the Mars Opportunity rover, which lost contact with Earth after 15 years in 2018, had covered 28.1 miles. Wow. I don't know why I thought they would be able to cover more than that. Right. I thought that was also interesting because... But let me give you a little bit more information because this might also help. Um, Later in 2018, the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter provided the strongest evidence for liquid water on Mars. And the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter has been in orbit for almost 16 years and can show the Martian landscape features as small as a kitchen table because it flies at such a low orbit. But every 112 minutes, the spacecraft completes an entire orbit. So that means an orbit of the planet is anywhere from 160 miles to 200 miles. So I think it's not as big as we think it is. Oh, whoa. I know. This is hurting my brain. (laughs) Ooh, yeah, Mars is pretty crazy. But we are most interested in it because I guess it's the closest planet. It's just important to remember that Mars is smaller than Earth. They haven't covered a ton of area, the rovers. But I think it's a little misleading when I say 140 miles. But it's just interesting to think about because if these rovers are covering X amount of space, then what's the likelihood that they would have come across a U.S. base on Mars? (laughs) Or could it have could it still be hidden somewhere on Mars and 
it just hasn't been encountered. Or is U.S. space exploration in big space business? And they're like, don't tell people what we're doing up here, China. Shut your mouth. <laughs> right. That, that's the only problem. Like you would have to it would have to be a pretty big, big conspiracy, I would imagine, with different countries. And then also the idea that I think that there's like video for, footage of some of it. So they would have to like alter the video footage or whatever. They're like, look, we know you know who shot RFK and we know you know about our space station on Mars. Keep your mouth shut <laughs> or we'll nuke you. Perhaps. Perhaps. And maybe that's why China and the Soviet Union, the former Soviet Union, are all we're all enemies because of these uh they pretended to be enemies because they were all <laughs> keeping each other's secrets. Big space, big government here, folks. Oh, dear. All right. So to introduce this story, I'm going to give you some statements made by the two people who are mostly behind the story that Obama traveled to Mars as a youth. This is from Andrew D. Bashago. And side note, his name is spelled B. Asiago. So I really want to call him Basiago, but it's Basiago. We call Basiago. <laughs> I like that. Doesn't Basiago sound so much cooler? Well, doesn't he say some really goofy stuff? Well, yes, he does. I think we can call him Basiago. All right. So this is his quote. Something highly significant has happened, and that is that two individuals from the same Mars training class in 1980, referring to himself and William Brett Stillings, have met and are comparing experiences and are able to corroborate not only that they were on the surface of Mars together, but that before reaching Mars via jump room, they were trained with a group of teenagers that included the current president of the United States, Obama, and the director of DARPA, which was Regina Dugan. I'll talk about her a little bit more later. Wait, what's DARPA? DARPA is the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. And what it is, is it makes sure that the Department of Defense is keeping up with new technology. Whoa, is this like stuff that your partner does? It's it's similar because he definitely is trying to keep the Navy's technology as up to date as possible, which is very difficult. There's so much bureaucracy involved, but also like for him in particular, I think I can say this without <laughs> breaking any sort of confidentiality. He works with integrating our technology with our allies technology. So then it's even crazier. Oh, my God. The the converters he must own. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and then uh, around the same time in 2011, William Brett Stillings releases a statement. And he says, I can confirm that Andrew D. Bash no, I should say it right. Asiago. <laughs> and Barack Obama, then using the name Barry Sotero were in my Mars training course in the summer of 1980, and that during the time period of 1981 to 1983, I encountered Andy 
Courtney M. Hunt of the CIA and other Americans on the surface of Mars after reaching Mars <laughs> via the jump room in El Segundo, California. Oh my God, I'm going to laugh a lot this episode. I know. I was like, you're laughing so much. I don't. They all met in this jump room. Yes. Well, this is a, kind of a hilarious story. And some of you may have heard about it because Stephen Colbert did a little segment on it. On the Mars thing? Yeah. Wait, I have a question. Is Barry Sotero, is that like, I just did a cursory Google search. Sure. Is that like a conspiracy name? Yes, I believe so. Because I think the idea is that that is the name of his Indonesian father. So I think it's Sotero. So when conspiracy theorists were freaking out about him being secret Muslim whatever, blah, blah, blah. They liked to look into his history and connections with his Islamic father. Oh, yeah, I'm not quite sure because I have not actually looked into those conspiracy theories. All okay, but it is like a conspiracy tie versus like, like never at any point in his life was President Barry, Barry Sotero. He's always been Barry Obama. I believe so. Um, I'm looking at a Reuters article right now that says Obama's Columbia University ID card does not show that he was a foreign student named Barry Sotero. So I think that this fake ID was probably going around the Internet with this name and foreign student printed on it for whatever reason oh it's just so bananas that like this took off to the point when they started having to publish articles that are like this is not true it's like where have we gotten ourselves it's rough because i i'm sure i've mentioned this in the past before but it's like how much do you try to fight disinformation without giving it credibility. It's in an impossible lose-lose situation. And I, I think you said Sotero was his father's name, but I think Sotero is his mother's name. Oh, okay. Okay. So not to say, not to give any credibility to the conspiracy, but this is just like a Wikipedia page thing. It does look like he was enrolled as a child in a Catholic school, and he went by Barry Sotero. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, that's... But this is also Wikipedia, and it seems... Um... Okay. No, I'm seeing something. Lolo Sotoro was an Indonesian who was stepfather of Barack Obama. Oh, that's his stepdad? Oh, and, that, and so they must have gotten married, and his mom took that name. Yeah. And presumably he did, too. Oh, my God. Don't go into politics if you don't want people to know anything about you. Because they'll also add <laughs> more details about you, too. It's so stupid, though. So here are the basics. Obama was part of a secret CIA operation in the 80s to explore Mars. The program was hosted at a California community college, College of Siskius, in Eureka, California, which is in Weed County. Is it 
Eureka or is it Eureka? Eureka. Eureka? It's not spelled like that. Oh, okay. Because I've like I've heard of Eureka. Oh, you know what? Here. Okay. No, they say it's pronounced Yreka. Okay. So I'm like, I think there is a Eureka, California. But I think it's spelled like Eureka. <laughs> right. This one's spelled with the Y. Anyway, this is a real community college. They have a real website. <laughs> I went and looked just because I was like, what? <laughs> okay. It's real. Okay. So we have some some solid facts here. Right. There is a community college with this name. He was there with nine other U's, and he was going by Barry Sower Tarot. He would have been 19 years old. And included in this group is Regina Dugan, who would go on to be the first female head of DARPA, which we mentioned already. And then presumably William Brett Stilling and Andrew D. Basiago. <laughs> yes. Wait, did they go on to do any high level government stuff? No, but there is a fun twist at the end. So you stay tuned. OK, because I feel like they must have failed the space travel course if everybody else is getting high level government jobs. The program was supposed to defend Earth from threats from space, as well as make a claim on the territory of Mars. Okay. Yeah, I love it. We love owning stuff here in the U.S. It's part of how we were conceived. And here are some of the things that they learned in this Mars class. This is what you do when you get to Mars. There are many creatures that blend into the background, so be careful. Right. So there's living creatures on Mars. There's living creatures on Mars, and you have to be careful. If a species is over eight feet tall, then you can't outrun it. Okay. I feel like they probably read the book Dune on shrooms, but okay, I'm on board. Being on Mars is very similar to being in the rainforest. I'm sorry. I thought Mars was like a red rock. Is that... Am I confusing it for another planet? No, it is. But what they mean is the dangerousness of the creatures on Mars. Why wouldn't you compare it to des there's dangerous desert creatures that would have been a better analogy? I, I suppose you're right. It's probably more like Australia, right? Like yeah. there's deadly creatures. Okay. You're in the outback, mate. <laughs> That's fair. But for whatever reason, they compared it to the rainforest. I had to shrimp on the bobby. The rays are going to get us. Now, from Andrew Basiago's later research into Mars, which you can find on the Internet, he says that there are humanoid creatures from one foot to 25 feet in height. Well, yeah. Now that we know that space alters DNA, I'm on board. But William Brett Stillings kind of goes into his theories on why there's creatures on Mars. And that's because he believes in grays, which we've talked about on previous okay, episodes. Okay. All right. And he says that Mars is the grays dumping ground for life. What? Because the grays do not want to harm or murder any creatures. And so they drop them off on Mars. Okay, my only issue, the only issue I have with this is 
how could you dump a variety of creatures on a planet that has like a set atmosphere? I can't quite understand what he's saying. He says Mars was fractured in the cataclysm. And so the generator of life is broken on Mars. So the. (laughs) (laughs) So if you're a man, your seeds go dry. I think it's the evolution of these, like maybe another creature comes to this area and then it evolves into something else. I don't know. It, okay. it was a lot. It, that's not really the important part. <laughs> it's, but these are great details. Yes. The important part was that the U.S. was trying to secure a U.S. Martian alliance with the humanoids or animals and animals. Slash. Okay. All right. Sounds very Disney-esque, but again, I'm on board. I like, I like where this is headed. So when they teleported to Mars, they were supposed to stay there until something acknowledged them and then they could come back. So they were supposed to at least be acknowledged by a creature on Mars. Like that was one of the main reasons of going. What? Okay. 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 Wow. (laughs) Don't bring anything back. We just want you to look at the red rock demon in the eyes and just come back. Got it. But it was very important that they not get eaten. So that's why there were all these safety precautions as well. It's also interesting that all these animals would be human eaters. Yes. Well, I think it was more like they just had to be careful. Like some of them were human eaters and some of them weren't, but you didn't know which one was which. So okay, you just have yeah. to be careful. <laughs> oh, but I guess if something's chasing, chasing you, then it's definitely acknowledging you. Also, if it chases you back to whatever the teleporter thing is, what do we call it? A jump? They're coming from the jump room. Okay. So if they get back, they pull it through the jump gate like uh, Stargate style. And then you just ship that creature to Area 51. Sounds like you've, you found yourself an in industry. Just so you know, the jump room was located in a building occupied by Hughes Aircraft at 999 North Sepulveda Boulevard in El Segundo, which was adjacent to LAX. Howard Hughes. Yes. In fact, Howard Hughes was involved. Whoa. Wait, was he alive at this time, though, in real life? So (laughs) Howard Hughes supposedly died in 1976. But that's been a lie this entire time. Yes. Okay. Andrew Bashago says, no, he didn't. He died in 2001. Duh. Duh. Duh, idiots. (laughs) So Howard Hughes was definitely involved in this venture and he didn't die. Nice. Okay, great. Glad that celebrities are staying true and investing in stuff that they know nothing that we thought they knew nothing about and faking their deaths. Indeed. Now, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about Andrew Basiago because he's a fun, fun guy. He is a lawyer in Washington state, and he has been publicly making claims since about 2004 about something called Project Pegasus. Just so you know, Project Pegasus is not the project that 
Barack Obama was involved in. This was a project before that in the 70s. Okay. But I thought it was important to bring up because there's a lot of... Wait, is it real? It is. Well, hmm. Okay. In Andrew's world, it's real. But as far as we know, in our timeline of reality, (laughs) it's not real. Yes, as far as we know. Though, I mean, it's very possible it is a real thing because there's some details in the story where I'm like, is it possible they were doing something else still? Yeah, they got the community college, so... So in third grade, his father, who was a chief technical consultant for the government on the theory of Tesla teleportation, his father brought him in to this project when he was in third grade in 1969. Okay, is that real? No, it's not real. Okay, as far as we know, (laughs) as far as we know, do we know what his dad did? Um, no, no, we really don't. Which I thought it'd be great if it's just like it turns out his dad was just a plumber. <laughs> uh, I think see, both of these guys have some sort of tie to like I think he worked for a government contractor, so okay. he really did something sort of involved, but not necessarily what he right, right. He but it could be a front, could be a front. Sure. Okay. It was funny, Stephen Colbert did interview the head of the EPA at the time. And she was like, I have looked into all of the government science programs. Teleportation and time travel do not exist. And then she got up and walked out of the interview because she's like, you've asked all of the ridiculous questions. Goodbye. And then she called her lawyer and the president was like, we we are fucked. (laughs) They know they know everything. (laughs) According to Andrew Basiago, Tesla teleportation is one of the eight modalities of time travel. Oh, of course. Yes. Tesla teleportation involves two gray elliptical booms about eight feet tall, separated by 10 feet between which is a shimmering curtain of radiant energy. And supposedly radiant energy was discovered by Tesla and it is latent and pervasive in the universe. When you're saying Tesla, sorry. Nikolai Tesla. Okay. Tesla is used so much that it's like, which Tesla? But that's the king Tesla. That makes sense. Supposedly this, the government had taken these documents for this teleporter from Nikolai Tesla after he died in 1943. Okay, sure. Radiant energy. It has a lot of properties, but one of them is the capacity to bend time space. So Andrew Basiago claims that he was the first child to teleport in the United States. Weird, weird flex, bro. Well, most of this information did come from an interview he did on Studio 10, a British talk show. Man, they'll, they'll put anyone on TV in the UK. Yeah, it was a fun, fun episode. Oh, did you watch it? Yeah, I did. Nice. So in his time traveling, He claims he had traveled to 1863 to see Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. He actually has a photo of this where he's a small child. And supposedly this was confirmed by the CIA. Now, is this a photo of our time or of 1863 time? Of 1863. So it's like an old timey. You went to the county fair picture. 
Yes. And there's a small child in the picture and he claims it's him. Yeah, that's that could definitely be verified by the CIA. Right. That's exactly what they do. Yeah. Not starting coups in other countries. They're worried about this guy time traveling. Okay. He also witnessed Lincoln's assassination. He didn't stop it. No, because supposedly the CIA was just gathering information about historical events. And they're also like, look, we're going to send you back in time, but we're only going to send you to very important events. We're not going to send you to a random time where nothing's happening. We're going to make sure there's at least one well-known person and one well-known event going on. Now, he also saw Jesus's crucifixion. However, this was a different mode of time travel. One of the other modes, eight, if you recall, is through a chronovisor, which shows a hologram of the past. And you don't physically go back in time. You enter the hologram to go to the hologram past. Well, this sounds like you're just wearing an Oculus. It does sound like that. But supposedly, once you're in the hologram, you can interact with the people in the past. Okay. Okay. I'm, he had me. He had me at the Gettysburg. This hologram stuff, I don't know. I'm a little on the fence about. I feel like you could be manipulated. Mm, That's a good point. You make a good point. Generically, Basiago's time travel claims are supported by a man named Alfred Weber who is a lawyer specializing, I can't even say this without cracking up, (laughs) a lawyer specializing in exopolitics, which is the political implications surrounding an extraterrestrial presence on Earth. I'm sorry, what? Where do you get that law degree? Is that from like Phoenix University? Uh, Wherever he got the law degree, he claims that teleportation and time travel have been around for about 40 years, but are hoarded by the DOD instead of being used for the transfer of goods and services. I also think that seems a lot shorter than I would think. I I thought if time travel exists, I would think it's existed longer than 40 years. I do not know. I can't even (laughs) venture to guess. Why did all this stuff come out in 2004? Well, because when he left the program in 1972, he was pretty much tortured. They put needles in his spine, which induced headaches for whenever he remembered the project. Okay, so he went to a terrible acupuncturist. Got it. But he claims that he defeated this what is it called? A memory blocker, I believe he called it. Oh, boy. So it's actually after 2004, when he's come out about Project Pegasus, that a man named William Brett Stillings, the other guy, helps Basiago remember the 80s because he had forgotten all about it. <laughs> so a whole decade is gone from his memory, even though he defeated... The memory blockers. Right. Okay. Wow. But I do believe he would argue that they use different memory technology. I mean, you got time travel. Right. It makes sense. It it sounds like there's a lot of technologies involved. So anyway, after Stilling comes to him and helps him remember the 80s, 
there's a lot of people who are having trouble, I think, remembering the 80s, by the way. He realizes that from 1980 to 1984, he was recruited by the second CIA-led project using teleportation technology to travel to Mars. And that's where he meets Obama. Oh, he didn't even remember meeting Obama until this other guy showed up. Yep, apparently. Okay. This Mars project info has also been corroborated by three other Mars whistleblowers, including Laura Magdalene Eisenhower, who is the not very credible great granddaughter of President Dwight Eisenhower. Do we know why she's not credible besides corroborating this story? The source I read pointed to other things that were not credible about her. Okay. Um, A former U.S. serviceman, Michael Relf, who claims that he was actually a member of the permanent security staff of a U.S. facility on Mars. So that's where the facility itself comes in. And then a former DOD scientist, Arthur Newman, who has testified publicly that he teleported to a U.S. facility on Mars. What's a DOD scientist? Department of Defense. Oh, duh. <laughs> OK, I I for some reason trust those guys more than I trust the other people we've heard from. Well, I mean, he testified to it, so he believes that that happened. I do think they do something weird, like in general, if you're working in the Department of Defense, you're not going to experience reality afterwards. I don't think the same way any other (laughs) civilian does. Sure. Now we're going to talk a little bit more about William Brett Stillings. And I got most of this information from an interview that he did on Radio RMN, which is definitely a conspiracy radio thing. Oh, nice. The host, Raylan Allen, also claims she went to Mars. But William Brett Stillings still comes on and explains his trips to Mars. Wait. Oh, my God. So, like, in that interview, (laughs) it's like they're both like, well, when I went to Mars, actually, like, just back and forth. When I went to Mars, there were aliens. When I went to Mars, I swam in a pool. So Raylan talks about how when she went to Mars, she didn't see any creatures and she didn't smell anything. And then she asks William Brett Stillings to describe all these things. Nice. Also, do you know how she got to Mars? No, no idea. Zero okay. idea. Okay. I did okay. not explore that further. <laughs> I mean, I think I think I did read somewhere that Someone claims that hundreds of Americans have gone to Mars. So apparently more than one, more than weird, weird flex, guys. (laughs) Save it for your TikToks. Uh, So William Brett Stillings goes by Brett now. So that's how I'll refer to him. His father was a Navy lieutenant who brought him into the experiments in the 80s. What's with these dads? Yes. This all sounds like a Mormon thing. His father was supposed to be his controller because he did have some sort of psychic ability okay controller is that like a handler yes that's what i believe he meant um he started on these experiments at the age of four with smaller introductions but this all expanded when he was nine or ten and his first teleportation experience was in 1979 
How he explains the teleportation is that his father would have him practice running with his eyes closed and his arms out in front of him. His father would get very angry if he put his arms down. And he was a small child, so he, when he's explaining it, he's like, I don't know what my father was doing. Like, he, he only remembers, like, what happened, but doesn't know a lot of the details. Okay. His first experience, he goes to a building in a mostly um, empty room. His father speaks to someone. He hears the hum of equipment and the person asks, is he ready? His father says, yes, he's practiced this and tells him to do his blindfold, eyes closed running thing. Oh, okay. And so he runs at the wall and he must not in any circumstance stop running. And then the interview never got to the point where he actually teleported, but that was just the the run up to it. Presumably he, before he hits the wall, he teleports. Yeah. Okay. That. okay. (laughs) So it must be, I wonder if it's location important because he was practicing this with his father and he didn't teleport then there must be something about the location of this building. I think you are correct. Um, And he does say that although he does have some sort of psychic abilities, this teleportation was caused by the technology. Of course, the technology. (laughs) Right. I'm going to just start saying that to people. You know, the technology. (laughs) He um, is very insistent that there are laws of teleportation, which you must obey. And one of those is that you must be moving at a speed of faster than one meter per second. And the problem is, if your arms aren't also moving at one meter per second, then you could lose them in the teleportation. That's why they have to keep their arms out. Ooh. So he experienced other teleportations, and oftentimes this would be in the deserts, probably in New Mexico where his father would drive eight to nine hours to get there and have him close his eyes. And his father would insinuate things, but never really directly talk about what was happening. And then when he gets to age 13 or 14, he goes to the College of Siskius, which is where he meets Barack Obama. This is nuts because if you think about the reality of what's (laughs) happening... And it's like his dad, who knows what his dad was actually doing with him. And this is like his child brain justifying what's going on. I know. I, I The whole thing definitely creeped me out in that way as well. Like, oh, my God, something weird is definitely happening. But he does remember going to this college class. He was 13 or 14. Apparently, there were a wide range of teenagers there. But there were 10 of them, Obama, Regina Dugan, Basiago, including Basiago's father and Obama's mother. Now, wasn't I don't know if you said this, but Obama was like nine. Wasn't he like 19? 19. Yep. Yeah. So then we have like this weird. Yes. Or interesting age gap, I guess I should say. I agree. I thought that was a little strange as well. but But I guess like. Sounds sounds like old Brett here was pretty advanced in his teleportation studies. So yes. maybe he he skipped a few <laughs> grades. It's true. So Brett 
talks a lot about how he forgot a lot of the experience. Of course he did. And the memories would come to him off and on, but he was able to overcome this. And they never do talk about how they did that, but whatever reason, they have figured out how to remember. Interesting. And so, you know, um, Obama was at Occidental College in East Rock, California, near Pasadena at the time. And Regina Dugan was at California Institute of Technology. So they were generally in California. Yeah. Okay. All right. Basiago believes that one of his colleagues, Bernard Mendez, which I can't, I don't know if Mendez was in the program or just also went to Mars. He supposedly spoke to Obama through a mediary. And Obama said that he remembered Andrew Basiago, but Obama's memories of the program were vague and dreamlike. Wait, this is according to Bernard? Yes. He told Bernard this, Bernard saying, like, I talked to him. Well, he talked to him through a mediary, so it's actually like three layers away. Okay, and then who is Bernard? Just some rando? says it's one of his colleagues. I think it's a Mars participant, perhaps. Okay. But he's not a real guy. He's just like a person to verify this. Um, Actually, I don't know. I would imagine Bernard Mendez doesn't know Barack Obama, so he must have not been in the program. But anyway, Basiago says that Bernard says that this other guy said that Obama said this. Okay. All right. Sure. That that's very verifiable. Okay, thanks. He also said that Obama was supposed to come forward after he left the presidency to admit that he had been on Mars. <laughs> I love I love that contingency. Like what? Who knows? Now, to finish this story off, or do you have any questions about the story? Because I'm reaching the end. No, it feels, uh, feels crystal clear, everything you've said to me. Excellent. I am so glad because <laughs> you'll be happy to know that Andrew Bashago ran for president in 2016. Oh, great. Do you know what party? No, I do not. Okay. But he did say of running, quote, I have prior knowledge that not only will I run for president, but that during one of the elections, which would have to be between 2016 and 2028, because I'm not running past that, I'm either elected president or vice president. Um, who's going to tell him? <laughs> he believes that he along with Obama, were pre-identified by the CIA to become president. You know, if he became president, then I'm 100% in. We still have a few years, so we'll see what happens. Also, why the cutoff at 2028? I don't know, but that was part of the quote, so. Okay. <laughs> Oh, God, this episode. episode He like knows the world ends at 2028. So he's like, I can't run past then. So that's my crazy story about Obama and Mars. I love it. I'm glad we did this. This was a good one. Yeah. Has all the elements that we enjoy. Fun facts, 
a range of space creatures, multiple people who've said that they've spent time on Mars in public settings <laughs> being recorded. I love it. Well, thank you for doing all that research, Molly. Sure, sure. Uh, it was really dumb, and I hope we didn't uh, make our listeners <laughs> dumber. Yeah. Uh, apologies. Maybe we'll put a, a warning in front of this episode, but if you are dumber from this episode, we're sorry. <laughs> you know, at first, my first reading into it, I thought, wait, humans can't survive on Mars, but I quickly <laughs> set that aside for the story. <laughs> we should have led with that, maybe. <laughs> Just so you know, the atmosphere on Mars is very uh, inhospitable. Yes, in real life. Yes, in real life. But the whole, what was it? The life force cracked on Mars? Oh, God. I, see, I think that was a side thing. I don't think we should. Maybe we shouldn't judge the whole program best on that one guy. But, oh, yeah, the life force stuff was crazy. Uh, I'm on board with it. I like it. How about we go with you first? Where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bridget underscore suck it. Molly, where can people find you? And ask you money questions. You can find me and ask me money questions at Molly MM9. That's Molly with an IE on m3virtualaccounting.com or Molly at m3virtualaccounting.com. You can also find us at sexwithghosts underscore on Instagram or Twitter, or you can email us sexwithghostpodcast at gmail.com. And you can show your support by giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts also on Spotify now. And you can show further support by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash sex with ghosts. There we have different tiers where you can throw us a dollar, say thank you, or give us more money. Every little bit, of course, goes back into the podcast and helps keep us going. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.